Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Can you believe it's already November? We are already in the season of Thanksgiving, and right now, I'm thankful for you. What a privilege to be invited into your spiritual journey, even if it's only for a few moments. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. Our team here is committed to helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus, whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. Dayspring is the kind of church that anyone can call home. It's really more of a family. We're the kind of people who will welcome you with open arms just as you are. Nobody here has their act completely together, so don't think you need to either. This is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a safe place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. We like helping people figure out the next steps on their journey. So if you haven't arrived yet, whatever that means for you, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now let's join our service. If your money talked, what would it say? Have you ever given that any thought? <laughs> if you're like me, you hope it never does. But if it did, you hope it wouldn't talk to anyone but you. And no one else needs to know my business, right? Some things are better left in the dark where no one else can see them. Sometimes I don't even want to know. But if our money could talk, and we knew that it was on our side trying to help us, I doubt that we'd be all that surprised by what it had to say. We, we already kind of know. We'd be like, yeah, 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 I got it. I know I shouldn't have done this. I know I should have done that. I don't know about you, but when I pull up Quicken to take a look, I often feel like I'm being called into the principal's office. <laughs> nobody likes to talk about money. And in church, I guarantee you that no pastor likes to talk about money nobody's happy when money is the topic in church. We'd probably feel a little different about that if someday a pastor would just walk up to the pulpit and say, you know, we have enough money. Don't worry about tithing anymore. But of course, you never hear that. Has any pastor ever said that? Well, for those of you who already have your defenses up and think that's what this series is all about, here's what I want you to know about Dayspring. God has been incredibly good to us in the past four years. Just over four years ago, we weren't paying all of our pastors on time. We had no reserves in the bank, and we had no hope that it was going to get better. Four years later, we have paid off our 20-year mortgage early. We've replaced two roofs. We've remodeled the lobby, the nursery, three bathrooms, and the kitchen, and we've invested around $30,000 into our live stream. We have reserves in the bank. And no one, had, no one has been paid late in four years. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, of course, we've had some insurance money, some PPP money, and a couple of very generous donations along the way to accomplish all of that. But really, only God gets the credit. That's the only way we can explain it, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. Only God could do that. He has been really good to us. If I could describe our financial situation right now, I'd take you back to a story in the Old Testament. Uh, in 1 Kings, which is one of several books about the history of Israel, we read about a prophet named Elijah. In the middle of a drought that caused famine conditions, he asks a widow for water and bread. She replies that she doesn't have enough to share, just a handful of flour and a few drops of oil. In fact, she's getting ready to make one last meal for her son and herself, and then with nothing left, they'll starve to death. Elijah tells her to make bread for him first, and then prepare hers with what's left, which she does. And for three years, every day, there is just enough oil and flour for the day, for the three of them. For us, we have just enough oil in the jar. We're getting by. If we had extra, we could do more, but we're getting by. God is providing what we need, and that deserves a big amen. amen. So we aren't talking about money because we need more of it. God is already providing you, uh, using you to provide. I think too many churches, including us in the past, have only talked about money when they needed it, when there wasn't enough, or they were getting ready to start a new building program or launching a new mission. And that's not where we're at. Right now, we aren't talking about money because we need it. That might not always be the case, but for now it is. So for those of you who are already a little defensive, you can just let that go. Of course, that begs the question, why are we talking about money then? Now, if you've been through our Explore 201 class, or were here when we did a series on this before COVID, you might remember this graphic, uh, even if you've forgotten the details. Uh, this graphic is the basis for our spir spiritual growth strategy. I've included a copy with the message notes online for those of you who want a fresh look. Now, we won't go into it in detail, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page, there are four stages of spiritual growth. Moving from those who are exploring Christ, which you see on the left side of the screen, to growing in Christ, close to Christ, and finally on the right side, Christ-centered. Even though each of us is on a beautifully complex and unique journey, once we choose to follow Jesus, there are three stages of increasing spiritual maturity towards spiritual adulthood. Of course, life is never quite this simple, but this is the general pattern. Spiritual adulthood is the goal for all of us. We want to grow up to be like Jesus spiritually. And in the far right column, we've listed some of the characteristics of a spiritual adult. One of them is a fully integrated understanding of stewardship demonstrated by tithing and service. Fully integrated means that it isn't just something you know, but it's something you do. It's lived out tangibly in faith. And how do you get to that fully integrated stage? Well, the arrows between the four stages, we've, in those arrows, we've listed the top 25 catalysts that help you grow. And in the area of finances, the two catalysts that make the biggest difference are an understanding of what God's Word teaches about stewardship 
and the, and the spiritual practice of tithing. So to answer your question about why we are talking about money, we're talking about money because you'll never be a spiritual adult if we don't. We're talking about money because it is a part of your spiritual formation, and everything we do at Dayspring is focused on our spiritual formation in some way. We're talking about money not because the church needs it, but because you need to give it. And honestly, I think I'd be in sin as a pastor if I never talked about money. Uh, like you, I could never be a spiritual adult if I didn't live out this truth, but I'd also be in sin because I'd be leaving out a large portion of the Bible when I was teaching. I would it'd be like picking and choosing to teach the parts I like, but leaving out the hard parts. I'm called to teach the whole message of the Bible. So with the help of pastor and author Andy Stanley, who wrote a study entitled If Money Talked, that's probably worth checking out, we're going to talk about money for the next three weeks. And the truth is, there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money, possessions, and accumulating wealth. Uh, if you grew up around church, you may already know this, but Jesus actually said more about money than heaven. Depending on how you count, Jesus taught from 35 to 39 parables, which were simply stories that illustrated what the kingdom of God was like and what those of us who follow Jesus are supposed to do as citizens of it. And out of those 35 to 39 parables, 16 of them, just under half, had to do with money and possessions. I think some of you are going to be surprised during the next few weeks to discover that if your money could talk, it would sound very much like the way Jesus talked about money. This may surprise you because of the way most preachers talk about money, but Jesus never asked for any money. He talked about it all the time, but he never asked for any money except once. And on that occasion, he asked someone for a coin. Probably pulled it out from behind their ear. Ta-da! <laughs> Not. He asked to borrow a coin from someone in the crowd, and he used it for an illustration. And then as best we can tell, he gave it back. So if Jesus never asked for money, what was he up to? Why did he talk about it so much? When we read the Gospels, when it comes to money and possessions, Jesus really was up to something. Well, he was really after something. As it turns out, it wasn't anybody's money. If your money started talking, one thing it would tell you is this. I, this is your money speaking, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of your life. Your money, my money, our money would remind us that it is a much better means to an end. In fact, if you make money an end, you may end up alone. But using money as a means to an end is what makes money meaningful. Now let me illustrate what I mean. We're headed into the Christmas zone. Maybe one of these products will make it to your Amazon wish list. Everything charges via USB nowadays, including this USB pet rock. You know, I've never really wanted a pet rock, but if I did get one, I'd want to be able to charge it with a USB cable. Why waste batteries? 
I'm not really a pet person, but for you pet fish lovers, here is a fish training kit. Does your goldfish just swim uselessly around the bowl? This kit comes with a 45-minute training DVD. In no time at all, you'll have your goldfish ready for the university intramurals team. And for you fish owners, don't forget to walk your fish every day. How many of you remember going to Blockbuster or Hollywood Video? Back in the day, they put a sticker on every VHS tape. Do you remember what it said? Please be kind, rewind. Well, if you're too young to know what a VHS tape is, then you're just too young. Well, here is a DVD re rewinder for you, lazy bones. Of course, who buys DVDs anymore? <laughs> These actual inventions have never caught on because they are meaningless. They're good for a laugh, but nobody needs them. Nobody wants them. Becoming a means to an end is the only thing that makes something or someone meaningful. That's what it means to have meaning. And that's true for us, too. If you want to live a meaningful life, you have to figure out how to become a means to an end. That's not you. If you want to have a meaningful life, you have to figure out how to become a means to an end that goes beyond you. When you decide to become a means to an end, your money becomes a means to an end as well. You'll begin to view all of your money, all of your resources, your entire net worth as a tool to accomplish that end. And wouldn't you know it, this is exactly what Jesus taught in one of his, did he really just say that, parables? If you have your Bible with you, either old school or on your phone, uh, we find this parable in the Gospel of Luke. So go ahead and navigate there. Luke was a first-century doctor. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples or part of his entourage, but after Jesus died and was resurrected, Luke came to Christ. And then one of his friends was interested and started asking Luke questions. So Luke decided to investigate the story of Jesus' life to help his friend understand. He interviewed all of the people who had been around Jesus throughout his life and ministry, and he meticulously wrote it down so that there would be an orderly account, an orderly record of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, this was incredibly helpful, not only to Luke's friend, but to other people who followed Christ and were interested in what this incredible story was all about. And eventually, Luke's letter got put together with some other documents into what we call the New Testament, which became a part of our Bible. So Luke, who carefully and thoroughly investigated everything Jesus, records several of Jesus' parables for us, and this is one Jesus told his disciples. Now this group would be the larger group of disciples who traveled with Jesus, including the apostles. He had quite an entourage of men and women. And in verse 1 of Luke chapter 16, he writes, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. Now, as soon as Jesus said the words, there was a certain rich man, Jesus' followers knew that this wasn't a true story, but that he was making it up to illustrate a point. It's just like when we hear the words, once upon a time, we know what's coming next. So once upon a time, there was a rich man who had so much money, he couldn't manage it all himself. 
So he had so much money to manage that he hired a manager to do it for him. And this manager uh, bought and sold and traded all in the name of the owner. And one day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So this rich man got wise to the fact that this manager was making deals on the side or was doing something dishonest that made him nervous. So the employer, that's the rich man, the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The rich man, who had so much money he couldn't manage it himself, calls in the hired money manager and he says, hey, word on the street is that you aren't representing me very well. You're not dealing with my stuff very well. You aren't being accountable, not being honest. So show me the books. I want to see what you're doing or not doing or mismanaging. Give me an account of your management. Go get the books in order because you aren't going to be my money manager any longer. I'm firing you. But before you go, would you tidy up all the loose ends? Clean up everything and bring me the records in a good order. Then you're out of here. So verse 3, the manager thought to himself, now what? I wasn't expecting this. What am I going to do now? I've been caught. There's no such thing as unemployment. How am I going to survive? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how I'll ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So suddenly, this this money manager finds himself with a little bit of time and opportunity to figure out where he's going to go and what he's going to do and if anybody is going to take him in. So he he thinks about it and he comes up with a plan to make sure that when he is no longer employed by the rich dude, he still has somewhere to go, someone who will have his back. And this is the plan he came up with. Jesus continues, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. Now, the rich man Uh, probably had a lot of people who owed him money. Jesus only gives us two examples. So the manager calls each person who was doing business with the rich man one by one. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, hey, we don't have a lot of time here. Quick, before anyone notices, uh, before someone walks in, I've only got a little time left, so take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Now, imagine that you're sitting in Jesus' uh, audience. What would you have been thinking? Uh, If you owe money, you're probably thinking, what a great deal. I owed 800, but now it's been cut in half. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And if you're on the rich people's side, you're probably thinking, he deserves to lose his job. This is dishonest. What a crook. But the olive oil merchant is blessed beyond belief. Oh man, thank you so much. This is really going to help my business. Hey, if you ever need anything, give me a call. Here are my digits. Yeah, I might just do that. And then the second guy comes in and the same thing happens. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. Here, the manager said. 
take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Uh, well, let's just wrap this up today. Take off 20% and we'll call it good. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. If there's anything I can ever do for you, just let me know. You might be hearing from me sooner than you think. The implication is that the manager did this over and over and over again because he went to each person who owed the rich man money. And one by one, he goes to these people to settle their accounts and he gave everybody huge discounts. But everyone can see the end coming. They are just waiting for the rich man to find out. You know what's going to hit the fan. They're all thinking this guy is going to go to jail. If he's lucky, he could very well lose his life. Now, if you've never heard this parable before, you're probably thinking the same thing. In our minds, he'd deserve whatever he got. Now, Jesus is a masterful storyteller. He knew exactly how to capture the attention of his audience and to get them to lean in and listen carefully, thinking that they knew what was coming next, thinking that they had the point of the story figured out. In every parable, there is someone who represents God, and there is someone who represents the people in Jesus' audience, someone who represents you and me. And in Jesus' first century audience, they assumed that the dishonest money manager was about to get into big trouble. But they were wrong. I would have been wrong. That would have made the most sense to me. But Jesus thinks differently than I do. Because in the, st in the story, the rich man actually commends the money manager. He compliments him. Verse 8 says that the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal, which is not the word I would use for being so shrewd. He leans back in his chair and he says, you got me, gives him a high five and laughs at the entire situation. He, com he commends the dishonest money manager for acting shrewdly because he, the guy thought it through with his future in mind. With intention, he used the limited opportunity and the limited time, and he made the best of it. And if you're like me, you're like, no way, this isn't right. He should be in trouble. What's going on here? Well, Jesus has them right where he wants them. They're on pins and needles trying to figure out what this story means. And then Jesus pulls out of the parable and he starts to teach them the lesson he wanted them to know from the parable about the kingdom of heaven. The way God views wealth and money and possessions is different than the way we do. And here's how he views it. This is the application. He drops out of the parable and he says, and it is true that the children of this world, that's the, the people who don't know that there is more to this life than this life, those people are more shrewd. They think things through better. They're more thoughtful in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And in this context, the children of the light are the Jewish people who had a promise from God that he was going to do something fantastic through their nation. He's saying that the people of the covenant, the people who have the promises of God, 
Sometimes aren't as thoughtful and don't think things through as well as people who assume that all there is to this life is this life. This extends to those of us who put our faith in Jesus. Now, often the people of this world think through better than those of us who think in terms of eternity. The money manager was commended for making full use of his limited time and opportunity. Jesus' point is the reason this guy was commended, not because he was dishonest, but because he took advantage of his little bit of time and little bit of opportunity. And Jesus' point for you and for me is the same. We are to do the same. When it comes to our money, our wealth, income, and resources, we are to view it with, within the context of not simply this life, but the next. And we're to ask the question, how do I maximize use of it in light of my limited opportunity that comes my way? And then, because we tend to be a little slow to understand and obey, Jesus drives the lesson home with a command. Now, this command is only for those who are Christ followers. If you aren't a Christian, then don't worry. You don't have to do this. I'm not telling you what to do. I have no authority over you. And if you don't follow Jesus, then he doesn't really either. Although, hang on, because there are some takeaways for you too. But if you are a Christ follower, Jesus leans into you and says, I tell you, pay attention. This isn't a story. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly wealth, your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Use, because it is a means to an end. It's not the end, it's just a tool. Use worldly wealth, worldly resources to gain friends for yourselves, like the money manager, so that when it's gone, and it will be gone, well, you'll be gone, when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into an eternal home. Now, this is weird. If you forget all of the rest of Jesus' teachings for a moment and just focus on this one teaching, this really doesn't make sense because the, the implication is unmissable. The implication is that there is something we can do with temporary wealth during this little moment of opportunity to make an eternal difference. Now, I know this didn't make sense to his original audience either. They didn't understand what he was talking about. There's clearly something to this because Jesus substantiated the idea that there was an eternity, not just by what he said, but through his life and specifically through the resurrection. And anyone who can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off is worth listening to. But his point is clear. Your money and your possessions, my money and my possessions, our money is a means, a means to an end that goes far beyond us and this life. Your right now resources have the potential to make a forever difference. We can't take it with us, but there is a way for us to have something to show for it beyond this life when we cross the line into eternity. Now, if Jesus is right, and I think we know that he is, if he's right, 
then you and I should not simply view a percentage of what we have as available to God, but that 100% of what we have is a potential means to an end. In other words, the question we should begin to ask ourselves, and even if you aren't a Jesus follower, you might want to ask this question just for grins and giggles. Uh, The question we should be asking ourselves is, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that is outside of what benefits me? That's where joy is found anyway, right? When Didi and I got married, we both had the same background. Uh, We both had essentially grown up in the church and knew that tithing was just a part of the process, but we also had parents who didn't really teach us how to manage money, which meant that we entered marriage saddled with his debt, her debt, and our debt, a trifecta of fun. (laughs) Tithing didn't seem realistic, even though we wanted to. It took us a few years to put our money where our mouth was, so to speak. But eventually, we got to that magical number that everyone seems to think is the goal. We were giving 10%. It took us much longer to get to the point where we viewed all 100% of our wealth as God's entrusted to us as his money managers. And I'll be honest, we don't have it all together now. We're certainly much further along than we used to be, but we still have a ways to go. At this point, I'm trying to think about it as how little do we need to live on so that we have more to give on? I have good days and bad days. Some days I am the dishonest money manager of my own finances, not the church's for the record. But again, in all honesty, the more we give, the more we seem to have, which makes sense if you think about it. It's not our money, it's God's. We are just caretakers. The, the Bible does teach that you can't outgive God, and I've certainly seen that in my own life. His resources aren't limited. So we started with a percentage, but really now all of it's in play. It's all his money, and he gets to spend it all like he wants. Now, the really cool thing is that over the years, we've been privileged to be part of some really cool stories, both as givers and receivers. We don't always get to know how God uses our money to bless others, but sometimes he pulls back the veil and gives us a snapshot. I like the stories. They mean far more than stuff. In fact, most of the stuff eventually ends up gathering dust in the garage until I can't stand it any longer. But it's the investment in those stories that will follow us into eternity. That's what Jesus means. I know we've got to make a living. We all have bills to pay. Uh, We have kids to get through school. Yes, we need to be responsible. But what could happen if you changed your mindset? What stories would you be able to tell? If your money talked, that's what it would want to talk about. That's what you'd want it to talk about. And that is Jesus' point. Money can add meaning to your life when you use it as a means to an end as a tool. But the parable isn't over. Jesus uh, continues. He still has their full attention. Verse 10, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are 
untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Little things, large things, worldly wealth, and whatever the true riches of heaven might be. Jesus' point is simply this. No matter how much has been entrusted to you, whether you have lots of money or not, no matter where you think it ultimately came from, your money, your wealth, your possessions, your money is not only a means to an end, not only is your money a tool to be used for the kingdom of God, it's all a test as well. Regardless of what we have or don't have, we all have a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity, and this is a test to see whose kingdom that we are devoted to. The kingdom that began when we were born and will end when we die, or the kingdom that will go beyond our physical lives. And if that weren't enough, Jesus finishes with this thought. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Now, this might be a new thought to you, especially if this is the first time that you've ever heard this parable. But Jesus ends with this. By the way, you aren't the rich man. You are the money manager. You are the money manager. It's not yours. Let's be honest. Most of us don't see ourselves as the money manager, especially in the United States of America. This is my stuff and I deserve it. It's my house, my car, my paycheck. If your money could talk, it would confirm what Jesus has said in these verses. It would say, I'll still be here when you are gone. The moment you think you own me, I actually own you. None of us are owners. The fact that we leave our money behind when we die is proof that we are just managers. So who are we managing it for? Those of us who follow Christ know the answer to that question, even if we don't live like it's true. If you don't follow Christ, you can't take it with you either. So you have to figure out who you are managing it for. And that's probably a harder answer to find. And if our money is simply a means to an end and not an end in and of itself, then what do we want our life to mean? When we embrace the answer to that question, your money will follow. Or you could be like the Pharisees. You probably know that they were the religious leaders at that time. They were always questioning Jesus and trying to trip him up and make him look foolish in front of the crowds. Well, Jesus' disciples weren't the only ones listening to this story. The Pharisees were on the outskirts listening as well. And when Jesus was all done, Luke writes in verse 14 that the Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. They sneered at Jesus. And that's where we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would conform the way we think to the way Jesus would want us to think. Wherever we are on the spectrum of our spiritual journey, 
just make us a little bit more like Jesus. Help us to view everything that you have entrusted to us as tools for the kingdom of God. Help us to be more in love with you than we are with our money and our things. Help us to find our security only in you and not our things, not our bank account. Make us like Jesus. You have called us to that. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. For those of you who make this ministry possible with your financial giving, thank you for your generosity and faithfulness. We know God is doing something in you when you give, but he also does something through you. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may the Spirit of the living God lead you into His truth and blessing.